how do we pray? So as we come to this line of the Lord's Prayer in verse 11, let us pray right now and let's ask God to open our hearts as we open his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that every person in this room matters to you. Everyone sitting outside, those joining us online, they matter to you. We thank you that you are aware of and you are concerned with all the things that concern us. The hopes, the dreams, the worries, everything going on in our hearts. And we ask this morning that you would speak to us, that we would understand and receive what it is that you have to say to us and that we would be changed by it. We ask like the disciples did, Jesus, teach us to pray. And for anyone here who does not yet know you, we pray that today their life would be changed as they trust in your son, Jesus, and all that he has done for them. And it is in his name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. George Mueller was a man known for great faith. And he and his wife started working with orphanages in England in the 1830s, which only increased their dependence on God. The money and provision necessary to run the orphanages and feed the children was great. But these difficulties in their circumstances were often opportunities for prayer. And this was demonstrated famously one morning as he recorded in his diary that there was no food for the orphanage. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat, the anxious house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. But George asked her to take, nonetheless, 300 children into the dining room and have them sit down at the empty tables. And what did he do? He thanked God for the food and waited. George was convinced that God would provide what the children needed. He just did not know how. And within minutes of his prayer, a local baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up early and I baked three batches for you. Do you need it? <laughs> Soon after, there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. Remember, this is the 1830s. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time that the wheel was fixed. And so he asked George Mueller, could you use some free milk? And George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk and 300 children ate their breakfast. That morning, George Mueller prayed for daily bread. 
Through our series this summer, we are exploring each line of the Lord's Prayer. And today we come to Matthew 6, verse 11, and the line, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, our prayers may not always be answered in the same way that they were for George Mueller, but we are always encouraged to bring our needs to God in prayer. And when Jesus tells his followers to pray for daily bread, he was not limiting our requests only to bread, as we shall see. But of course, bread has long since been the staple in the diet of many cultures, including the people who were listening to Jesus on that day. The Jewish people would have recalled the many times that God cared for the Israelites in the Old Testament, providing daily bread when he miraculously supplied food for them in the wilderness when they escaped slavery in Egypt. And as it was for them, so it is for many today. Daily bread is associated with essential needs. In fact, it is interesting to think of how casually we use the term bread in this way. Some of you often use the word bread as a synonym for money or dough for cash. <laughs> All two of you. The prominent wage earner in the home, what do we call them? The breadwinner. Why? Because bread is a powerful symbol for daily provision. In a line that is so short, so basic, so familiar, the Lord's Prayer reminds us of this truth. God cares about every one of your needs. And so he invites you to pray about them. Now for context, as we've learned over the last few weeks, the first half of the Lord's Prayer focuses on God's glory. But today we turn a corner. We are now focused on our good. And as we look at verse 11 and this line, we address the obvious yet often unasked question, how should I pray for myself? How should I pray for my needs? Well, this morning, I simply want to draw out three implications when it comes to this line in verse 11 and how we pray for our daily bread. And the first thing I want to say is this. God, in praying this prayer, God invites you to look beyond your needs. Because this model prayer in Matthew 6 has a radically God-centered focus, we must not forget the one we are praying to. In the first part of the prayer, as we pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, may your name be regarded as holy and awesome in my life. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our souls are lifted to the highest heavens, but not in a way that causes us to neglect what is happening around us on the earth. See, 
This is a very obvious but important point. Jesus is here teaching us that true prayer is not about finding provision within ourselves. Jesus doesn't tell us to pray to our Father who is within us. He's not telling you to pray as modern society often does to become more of a self-reliant, self-sufficient person. And in many ways, this is an offense to people. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the line, but I remember hearing it frequently when I became a Christian as a young man. All my friends uh, were not Christians and actively were against Christianity. And so when I became a Christian, all my friends used to say this little one-liner to me. Your Christianity, it's just a crutch. Anyone? You ever heard that? Christianity is just a crutch. To which I have two responses. First of all, why do you have to be a crutch hater? <laughs> like, what did crutches ever do to you? Why do you hate crutches? Like, if you sprain your ankle, crutches are a good thing, right? That was my first response. But the second response is that Christianity is not a crutch, it's a cure. It deals with the most fundamental need of human nature, the, the greatest need of the human heart. And for this reason, it offends our sense of self-sufficiency. We fancy ourselves as people who like to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I've got this, God, and maybe in a moment of dire need, I might just run into the halls of a church and cry out to you, but only on rare occasions. And yet in calling us to pray, and the priority in prayer being to call out to our Father who is in heaven and not look within our own hearts or our own lives, reminds us that we are not self-sufficient, that we do not have what is needed, that we do not have what it takes. We are called to remember in prayer to look beyond our needs. The first line in, when it pertains to our needs in verse 11 is give us. Lord, I'm looking to you to provide something that I need. Now that phrase might sound as if you're bossing God around, but it comes after these first few lines of the Lord and we are praying to. He is exalted. He is God Almighty. He's the creator of everything, which should create a sense of awe and wonder and reverence in our hearts as we come to him. But it is as I do that that I also remember he is generous and caring. And so I ask him to give me my daily bread. See, as a parent, I am not bothered when my children ask me for what they truly need. I'm only concerned when they do it with an attitude. <laughs> I remember when my oldest daughter, um, when she was younger, she used to frequently ask for water in the middle of the night. Well, I say ask, it was more like a command. In the earlier years, it was, give me water. And then there was a time when we were living in LA where she would just resorted to water. And I was like, really? So like one night I go in there, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm happy to give you a glass of water, but I'm not your servant. And you know what my daughter said? She said, actually, according to the Bible, you are a servant. And I was all, <laughs> you're a crafty one. <laughs> as a father, as a parent, I'm not bothered when my children ask me for what I need. 
for what they need. It's, it's only the attitude in which we do it. And so the first lines of the Lord's prayer, they, they put us in the right posture. You are God, I am not. And it's in that posture of a humble heart that I'm now bringing my needs to you. In fact, asking God to give is a way of honoring him as a giver. And so it is when these priorities are addressed in prayer that we then turn attention to our needs. So the first thing you need to know is look beyond your needs. Remember the one that you are praying to. That's how the Lord's Prayer begins. But secondly, God invites you to be honest about your needs. So first, we look above our needs. We look beyond our needs. It's our Heavenly Father, and we should honor Him and ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But secondly, we are to be honest about our needs. Now, as this line flows immediately after this great concern for God's kingdom being established on the earth, it's a line so practical that we think, wait a minute, God certainly doesn't care about things like this. It's actually for that reason that many Christian teachers throughout history have essentially spiritualized this line in verse 11. They think, well, no, we're praying for God's kingdom to come on earth, so surely he doesn't care about actual, literal bread. So some teachers have actually spiritualized this line. Some interpret this as a reference only to communion that the church takes when it gathers together. Other teachers have interpreted this line as to only have to do with the word of God, which is often called our spiritual bread. However, we dare not run the risk of missing perhaps the most obvious point. Jesus tells us to pray for our food. It's that simple. Just because the things we have already talked about are most important in this prayer, it does not mean that everything else is unimportant. Now, we're not meant to pray formal, occasional, and vague prayers. So there's three ways to apply this. Let me just give you three ways. First, this is about practical prayer. To pray this means you get practical when you pray. We do not want to think Indeed, the Bible does not tell us that somehow our practical needs are beneath the Christian. So don't get so spiritual that you forget about the practical. Like somebody asks you, hey, do you want to go after, you know, after church? Do you want to go out to lunch? And you're like, no, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. <laughs> you're like, oh, so, so is that a yes? Like, do you want a burrito or not? Like, I, I don't know how to answer that. See, there are some people who think like, I am so spiritual that I don't even concern myself with such matters, such as lunch, as you commoners say. See, that's ridiculous. Get practical in your prayers. Now, a word of clarification is necessary. This is a prayer for our need, not our greed. But it is a need nonetheless. Martin Luther, the great reformer of hundreds of years ago, had the wisdom to see that bread here is a symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of life. So this pertains to food. 
a healthy body, good weather, house, home, spouse, children, good government, and peace. He even saw a social element to this prayer, even to pray for a thriving economy. Give us this day our daily bread. From those who harvest the grain to those who prepare the bread all the way down to the households who will bring the bread and feed their families. It's practical. I love this, friends, because it shows us that God meets us in the small things. Some of us need to be reminded of this. Do you really believe that Jesus cares about every detail of your life? Now, for those of you who've been a Christian for a long time, I know that you would answer that question in a survey as an absolute yes. But many of us in our own hearts, we forget that Jesus cares about the most practical needs. I love it when I get a chance to remind, you know, my own family of this, like my kids, especially when they're little, there were times where we needed money for something, you know, like a need. And I would encourage them to pray and they would like laugh when they would pray at night, like, God, we pray for extra money. And they would kind of laugh almost as if they were embarrassed to, to come to God Almighty with such a practical need. And I say, no, Jesus taught us to pray in this way. You don't have to be embarrassed about praying for your practical needs. Church, this is a reminder that prayer is not about suppressing your need. Prayer is about expressing your need to a loving heavenly father. So don't just over-spiritualize everything. It's not about suppressing your need. God's not looking for you to come to him in this like formal attitude, ignoring everything that's happening all around you. He's inviting you to be honest. So the first way you can apply this is through practical prayer. Secondly, this is about persistent prayer. Notice it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, just to bore you for like a minute, there is much debate amongst the Bible commentators about the nature of this line. And the debate is this. Is Jesus teaching us in verse 11 to ask God for bread in the morning for today? Or is this about praying for the bread that we need tomorrow? To which I say, yes. (laughs) Clearly, surely it is about both. Give us this day our daily bread which I may add on a practical note, would advocate strongly that we reserve time at the beginning of our day to pray. Whether it's a few minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, that we set aside time, I would argue strongly the pattern of Jesus himself along with the rest of the witness of scripture, I believe would advocate that we begin our day with prayer. And as we begin our day with prayer, we bring even our needs to him, even the needs of that day. It's hard to pray for your daily bread at 1030 at night. (laughs) In both cases, this prayer refers to our immediate and our ongoing needs. This is about persistent prayer. It's not a prayer that you just pray once and you're done. See, many of us, we're tempted to pray for our annual bread. Lord, just give us the bread we need for 2022 and we're good and I'll talk to you next year. 
That is not the case. Jesus tells us to pray every day for our daily bread. Now, a word of clarification is in order. This does not mean that we shouldn't save money. This does not mean that we shouldn't plan for the future. This does not mean that we shouldn't invest in the future. Plenty of other scriptures in the Bible teach that we should do this. But that even when we save and when we invest and when we plan, we will never outgrow our need for daily prayer. To ask God daily for what we need. How many friends do I have who until recently were sitting on enough money that would last them for years to come only for one economic sharp downturn to happen and what they thought gave them much security is gone in a day. We're far more fragile. The book of James in the New Testament gives a wonderful encouragement and a warning. If you read the book of James, it's a very spicy book. I highly recommend it. But James says this about being presumptuous about the future. He says, now listen, those of you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why? You, don't, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. What is James saying? James is not against planning. James is against presumption. James is not against planning. He is against pride. In short, give your plans to God in pencil, not in pen. It's the way I look at it. See, so many of us, we come to God and we're like, yep, yeah, I've got 2022, it's all mapped out, God, I'm good. Here's the PDF. If you could just pay attention to the footnotes, that'd be great. Um, and then I'll talk to you next year. That's being very presumptuous. But when Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, it reminds us of how fragile life truly is. We do not know what's gonna happen tomorrow. But for us to pray persistently and consistently to God for our needs. I also do not think that it is a mere coincidence that Jesus gives us a model prayer in the midst of what was a very busy schedule for Jesus. Matthew chapter 6 comes in the context of Jesus' public ministry. He's going from town to town, village to village. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's healing. He's on the move, staying in one place, then staying in another with his band of disciples. And it is in the midst of that busy teaching schedule, in that context, that he teaches us to pray for our daily bread. See, sometimes when we think of prayer, we think it can only take place when we have like a, a time of, you know, a two-week spiritual retreat somewhere and someplace, and that's when we can really pray, but we can't really pray in the, the normal busyness of life. I would say that's precisely when we're called to pray. Our prayers should precede and permeate every busy day. See, oftentimes we use the line, I'm too busy to pray. I got too much going on to pray. I would say, you're too busy not to pray. 
You can't afford not to be praying. There is so much happening, so many decisions that you need to make moment by moment. It's so busy, you must pray. See, I don't think that busyness is the enemy of prayer. I don't think busyness is the enemy of prayer. I think self-sufficiency is the enemy of prayer. Martin Luther, to quote him again, said this famously. He said, I have so much to do today that I'm gonna need to spend three hours in prayer to be able to get it all done. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that you have to pray for, for three hours, but I think the point is clear. We're not too busy to pray. We're too busy not to pray. We need to be praying constantly. So this is an invitation, friends, to to pray practically, practical prayers, persistently. But thirdly, the third way you can apply this is about particular prayer. Don't be generic. Don't be vague when you pray. If you find the hand of God invisible to you, unable to see how he provides for you day in, day out, this may be due in part to how we pray. When we pray vaguely and generically, the way that we often look for God's hand in our lives is vague and generic. One of the reasons why I began the sermon with the story of George Mueller and his wife is because his life is such a wonderful model of praying particular and specific prayers. In fact, if you read about his life in the 1800s, he recorded all of his prayers in a diary or a journal. And on the one side of his journal, he would write what he prayed for and he would leave the other side blank. He would leave the other side blank until God answered his prayer and then he would go back to that blank line and he would fill in when and how God answered that prayer. And he did this for most of his life. And here's the amazing thing. Don Whitney, who wrote about George Mueller, said this. Mueller, we know this from his journals, Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayers in his journals. 30,000 of which he said were answered the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Think of it. That's 500 definite answers to prayer each year, more than one per day, every single day for 60 years of his life. And when it came to the money for his orphanages, God funneled over, by today's standards, half a billion dollars through his hands in answer to prayer. When we pray, friends, don't just be like, yeah, Lord, just provide for my needs, amen. Be honest. Be honest with God about your need. God, we don't have the money to pay rent. I've got some health concerns. God, I'm worried about my children. I'm worried about my parents. I'm worried about my friends. I don't know if this job is going to work out. I'm having some problems with my colleagues and coworkers. School is way too difficult for me. I'm super stressed out. I feel like my friendships are falling apart. Friends, be honest with God about your needs. It's not as if God is honored by you being very vague and formal. 
God's not asking you to come to him in prayer and be like, oh Lord, you are aware of the variety of my needs and would you now meet them? God's like, okay. Do you want to be more specific? In fact, I would use this phrase, pour out your soul to God. There are many examples of this kind of prayer in the Bible. But one that comes to mind is the prayer of a woman named Hannah in the Old Testament. Hannah was a barren woman, and one morning she went to the temple of God in ancient Israel to pray and to cry out to God that she would have a child. And as she did, she prayed so passionately that she was weeping. She was praying loud prayers, so much so that the priest on duty noticed her from afar and mistook her as a drunk person who happened to stumble onto temple property that morning. But listen to Hannah's reply, and more specifically, to her description of prayer. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Instead of keeping the anguish in her, she poured out her soul before the Lord. That's how specific and particular and persistent and even practical that she got in her prayers. And friends, we are invited to do the same. What is it that we're worried about? So often when we fail to get practical or specific, we're not talking to God about the very things that we're thinking about for most of our days, right? Don't answer this out loud, but like what kept you awake last night that you were worried about? Don't, again, don't say it out loud. You're like, the children, the rent. We just got another bill, my health concern. Like so many of those things, they fill our minds and consume our minds. And God in his grace and kindness says, bring that to me. My encouragement to you today and every day, pour out your soul before the Lord. Pray specifically. And you know what will happen? You will begin to see specific ways in which God meets you in your need. Do you have marriage difficulties? Pour out your soul before the Lord. Relationship hardships, pour out your soul before the Lord. Friendship struggles, pour out your soul. Car troubles, you're like, can I pray about my car? Yes. Pour out your soul before the Lord. Health concerns, money worries, bring your requests to God. He is calling us to daily dependence. But that actually leads us to the last thing and perhaps the most difficult thing for many of us and one of the reasons why we don't pray more. Because third and last thing I wanna say is that God invites you to trust him with your needs. See, this prayer in verse 11 is an invitation to look beyond our needs, remembering the one we're praying to, to be honest about our needs, getting specific and practical. But this is also an invitation to trust God with your needs. Because ultimately, praying for our daily bread 
is about trusting in God to provide for our truest needs in a way that is in accordance with his will and his good purpose. And he gives us great assurance in this. Jesus says, whoever asks, seeks, and knocks will find. God will always answer prayer, but it may not always be the answer you want, but he will always answer prayer. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's wait. But in all of this, we must be patient because there's more going on in prayer than just getting an answer. We are being changed. As you pray, as you pour out your soul to God, as you trust in him, you are being changed. Paul Miller, who wrote a great book on prayer called The Praying Life that we're recommending to people in our church, he simply said, learning to pray doesn't always offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart. And that is key. Because prayer is not only about the answer, it is also about the process, who we become as we pour out our souls before God. This doesn't mean that you don't work. This doesn't mean that you don't earn a wage, but you recognize that everything comes from God. He is the ultimate source of our provision. We cannot live without him. We cannot live without the gospel. We cannot live without Jesus Christ. And that is why Jesus is called the bread of life. In the same way that we need food and daily bread to nourish us and sustain, more so we need Jesus Christ to sustain us and to nourish us. In telling us to pray in this way, he's also telling us that we can completely trust him. That he is worthy of our trust and that he is willing to meet our needs. Now, how do we know? Some of you might have been burned by what you perceive to be unanswered prayer or times in which God hasn't answered in the way that, that you desired or you would have wanted. And maybe your struggle with prayer is a trust issue. And you say, well, I don't know. I prayed for a few things the last few years and it, it didn't come through in the way that I wanted. So I'm having a hard time trusting in God. I don't know if I trust that he'll meet my needs. Well, if that is you, and for all of us, we need to be reminded of the gospel. Because in the gospel, friends, Jesus offered far more than bread. When Jesus, Jesus was sharing his last supper with his disciples hours before he was going to be betrayed and crucified on a cross, he took these ingredients to the Passover meal, including the bread, and he broke that bread and he compared his death to the breaking of bread. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, you're looking for sustenance, you're looking for provision, but only I can bring you salvation. Only I can bring you true and lasting satisfaction. But in order for you to have this, I must be broken. In order for bread to feed people, it must be broken. Otherwise, the people will not eat the bread and they will starve. Well, friends, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross, he was broken that we might live. 
On the cross, Jesus died for our sin and paid the penalty that you and I deserve because of our sin so that we could have the life that he deserves. And he rose again and he conquered sin and he conquered the devil and he conquered death and his victory is now shared with us all. And as we feed on him and as we trust him, we will live. So here's the point. For those of us who are wrestling with trust, wrestling as to whether Jesus is trustworthy. Listen, if Jesus has already provided for your greatest and most eternal need, can you not also trust him with all your lesser needs? See, many of us are like, oh yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you gave Jesus dying across my sins, give me everlasting salvation. But anyway, but I just don't think you care about my rent. And God's like, really? I've given you effort. I've given you salvation. I've given you an eternal inheritance. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you a plan and a purpose. I, I've secured your life for all eternity. I've saved you from the penalty of your sin in eternity in hell. I love you and I care for you. Will you not trust me with the rest of your life? So this morning, in light of what he has done for you, I invite you right here and right now to ask him for your practical needs. What is it this morning that you are not bringing to him? Maybe some of you are too embarrassed to, to bring some of your practical needs to him. Or what have you stopped praying for? Some of you perhaps have been praying for a specific thing or a situation, maybe for several years, but in recent months, maybe in the last year, you just stopped praying, you just gave up. And the Holy Spirit might be saying today, hey, start praying again. Bring that to me. Where have we given up? Where have we stopped praying because we didn't think it mattered to God? Jesus says to you, I care. Pray your practical needs. But also pray your spiritual needs. Where do you need healing this morning? Where do you need forgiveness? Where do you need strength? Where do you need ever done so? Trust in Jesus today as your Savior and receive salvation. More than filling our stomachs, God wants to fill our hearts. And our spiritual starvation is only met in Jesus Christ. If that's you and you haven't trusted in Jesus today, right now is your opportunity to do so. Just say from your seat or whether you're joining us online at home, just say, Jesus, save me. Save me. I believe that you're the one I need. And it's in you I trust. And for all of us, friends, let's come to the communion table. These elements that Christians are called to partake of regularly, eating the bread and drinking the cup, it's a reminder he cares about our needs, especially our eternal needs. So we can trust him.
And just as you eat the bread and drink the cup and it's, it's, it's tangible, it's a reminder that you are to feed on Christ. You are to feed on Jesus for your soul. It is also a foretaste of that great feast which will one day come when you die and you breathe your last and you will stand with Jesus in glory and you will celebrate that heavenly banquet and every tear will be wiped away from your eye and you will never have to worry about your daily bread again because you will be in the very presence of God. That's why Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians, he said, every time you take communion, remember this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you take communion today, friends, as you lift that cup, you're saying, Jesus, you're coming again and you're gonna make all things right. So help me to trust you in the meantime, even though your provision is not always clear to me in the moment, I trust you with my life. I choose to trust you. Lead me, guide me and provide for me. And we have an opportunity to do that right here and right now. So let's pray. Father, I ask that our hearts would be open and yielded to you this morning. Thank you for this glorious invitation that we have to come to you and to bring our needs to you in full confidence and assurance that you are good and that you are wise. God, I pray that we would not move on from this quickly, but that we'd take advantage of these moments that we have together and bring our cares, our worries, our needs to you right now and every day in prayer. God, I pray for those for whom trust is an issue. Pray for those men and women. I just sense that there are some who just might be hard for them to trust you with their practical need. I pray that they would look to the cross and that they'd be able to say from their heart, Lord, if you've provided for my greatest need, of course you'll provide for everything else in your way and according to your will. God, I pray that you would build faith and trust in our hearts right now. I pray for those who have not yet received you, who have not yet trusted in Jesus for salvation, that right now would be that moment that they say from their hearts, Jesus, I believe I am a sinner and that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day to give me new life. I pray right now those men and women would trust in you. And that as we have this time and space that we would respond to what your Holy Spirit wants to do in us. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.